0: Welcome to The Hidden Palace with Skyblades. Hello my friends and welcome to The Hidden Palace here on Radio Sega. I am here, I am back and World War 3 hasn't started so I'm going to carry on regardless. Because I think we can got all use some cheering <laughs> up today. So today I'm going to be talking about add-ons and peripherals. Uh, Those items that change your gaming experience Hopefully for the better Sometimes... not so much So let's start off with one that we all know about Let's start off with the SEGA 32X Uh, The add-on for the SEGA Mega Drive Known internally at SEGA by the codename Project Mars I'm sure it sounded like a great idea on paper to someone Uh, incidentally the name Project Mars just makes me think of chocolate which makes me sad because I can't eat chocolate. Um, yeah. But instead of bringing out an entirely new console, the 32X was designed to bolt onto the then aging Mega Drive console and give it a boost in power. It featured many graphical enhancements including a much larger colour palette, better 3D graphics and support for full motion video. It also had upgraded sound and featured a fairly new technology at that point called Q Sound which enabled multi-dimensional sound which sounds fancy but it's actually a way for stereo sound to partially emulate the appearance of sound of the, the effect of surround sound Appearance? Effect of surround sound Clearly I've not had enough caffeine yet However, the 32X had almost no third party support and it was discontinued only a year after release and it's total games library in the US was a mere 36 games 36 oh my god and you thought that the PS4 had a poor games library upon release holy crap um, and those 4 games included 4 games that were designed to work with 32X and the Mega CD combined I'll be talking a bit more about that later in the show other criticisms of the add-on were its aesthetics, as some people complained it looked like a really ugly mushroom growing out of the top of their Mega Drive. Which honestly, they had a point. Apparently, the idea was that it was supposed to look like the uh, the turbo unit on a muscle car, an American muscle car. If that was the idea, they probably should have made it chrome. Actually, no, that would have been cool. Never mind. Uh, other people were complaining uh, that it's need for a separate AC adapter in addition to the Mega Drive one which sounds like a kind of a whiny complaint until you remember that this was the 90s and AC adapters for the Sega, uh, for Sega good machines, were all those massive plugs that you couldn't put next to anything else because they kind of ate the entire socket and God help you if you're trying to put them on a power strip because you are out of luck. Um, back up to the point where Sega actually had to release its own special power strip to accommodate all of those enormous uh, transformer plugs. So, that's my first story for tonight. 32X. Yeah, I'm gonna be uh Mr. Jamie Mr Wonderman is saying uh what didn't help the 32X was the Saturn released uh not long afterwards. So I will be talking about that later. Um I, I 1980 is saying it's another for Sega of America. Well, to be fair, Bernie Stolo was in charge at that point, who was not exactly the brightest spark, let's say. So one day I might talk in depth about Bernie Stola and the mistakes that were made particularly by Sega of America during that era but it won't be tonight um, and I might talk about the Saturn and how that went badly wrong but again not tonight For now let's have some music So I think we should have uh, some music from Knuckles Chaotix uh, Let's have Let's have a Knuckles Chaotic OC Remix So this is Knuckles Chaotic's Door Into Summer by Joe Redifer From our friends over at OC Remix I hope you enjoy Virtual Racing Deluxe ending theme from the Sega 32X version of Virtual Racing and prior to that it was Joe Redifer's Knuckles Chaotix Door Into Summer from OC Remix. Uh, Virtual Racing Deluxe of course was one of the best uh, games on the 32X so if you do happen to have the 32X, worth tracking that one down if you can. Now let's talk a bit more about some of the peripherals. Uh, <laughs> Oh dear. The Sega Activator Ring. Does anyone else remember the first time everyone said the virtual reality was the future? No? Well, I'm bloody old so I do. It was the 90s. Um, There were those ridiculous bulky helmets in all of the arcades. Uh, I live in Sheffield and they they actually had them in uh, the Meadowhall arcade that was open at the time. Uh, but they were really expensive so I never went on them plus the helmets didn't fit me properly anyway because I am tiny! Virtual reality was the industry buzzword of the day there were comics and tv shows and stuff having the words virtual reality in them not usually understanding what they were actually talking about but never mind and Sega brought out a product designed to simulate the virtual reality arcade experience in your own home it was an eight sided hollow octagon that you laid on the floor and stepped inside. Each segment of the octagon corresponded to one of the standard Mega Drive controller buttons so up, down, left, right, A, B, C, start. Okay? Sounds simple enough. And the idea was that uh, you would wave your arms or feet through the infrared beams that beamed up towards the ceiling and break them to activate the assigned control. It was designed primarily to work with fighting games like Eternal Champions or Mega Drive version of Street Fighter 2 and other such games. I think it it could work with um, Mortal Kombat as well. So the idea was that players would punch or kick in order to play. In reality, unless your ceiling was perfectly flat and smooth, the beams would get distorted so it wouldn't work properly. So if you had a textured ceiling, which by the way extremely common, certainly in the UK in the 80s and 90s, or an inconvenient light fitting or architrave, or a ceiling fan, you were kind of out of luck. Also, remember that this is 90s infrared technology that we're talking about here. You know, from the days where you had to have your remote pointed at the PRECISE angle to hit the sensor to change the damn TV channel. Remember those days? I do! So, as a result, the Activator Ring is not very well regarded and is in fact often mentioned alongside the Nintendo Power Glove as one of the worst peripherals ever. Yikes. Well, I mentioned Eternal Champions earlier, so it's an excellent excuse to play some of the music from it. So, uh, let's have some of the music from both versions of Eternal Champions, from the Mega CD and the Mega Drive. And let's start off with Eternal Champions Mega CD Midnight Drive version, uh, Xavier's stage, and prior to that it was the Telling Champions Mega CD Midnight Stage. So, uh, I, as we're talking about uh, gaming peripherals, let's go on to the Dreamcast Microphone. It was one of the first microphone peripherals for a game console. It came bundled with copies of the very, very weird virtual pet game, Seaman. I have yet to figure out what the hell is up with that game to be perfectly honest and looking at the pictures gives me nightmares because Gah WHAT. JUST WHAT. So yeah in that game you could interact with the Seaman creature. For example the creature can ask you your birth date and you can respond via the microphone and he would rattle off a list of interesting things that happened on that date Although, why you would want to communicate with that thing is beyond my reason. Oh Japan, what hast thou wrought? Anyway, the Dreamcast microphone took up a VMU slot and was compatible with the other games such as Planet Ring and Alien Front Online. I presume that had the Dreamcast Online functionality been more successful, it would have supported voice chat, similar to how modern console microphones do. I've been told, though I've not been able to verify this, that there was actually a voice chat in uh, the Dream Arena, um, but as I say, I've not been able to verify this because obviously Dream Arena has been offline for quite a while now. Uh, so just think, you could have had 12 year olds swearing at you about your performance in a video game so many years earlier, wouldn't that have been lovely? Uh, Rexy's saying that Seaman is definitely a creative game. Ye- yeah, that's 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 one way of putting it. Uh, we're also talking about the Sega Activator Ring, and uh, people are comparing it to the Kinect and the EyeToy for the PlayStation. It was kind of similar to the toy the EyeToy, in some ways. Uh, it was also kind of similar to. Um, the, the Dance pads Dance Mats. So had Rhythm Games actually existed back then maybe it would have been more successful but something that required fairly quick pace like fighting games, it just didn't work. It just wasn't sensitive enough. Um... Somebody was, I can't remember who it was that was saying that the advert for it was completely amazing though. You're quite right, the advert is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> you get like martial artists who are like doing moves in this circle and it's copying them on the screen, which is completely contrary to what people have actually reported about the experience of using with it. Uh, 20 on the Discord chat is saying that Dreamcast would have been the Xbox Live of the online gaming for little boys back in the day, Uh, and Rick is saying imagine kids screaming obscenities over uh, Fantasy Star Online at you, yeah pretty much, pretty much yeah. That's more or less how I think it would have gone just a few years earlier but never mind. Um, since I don't have a huge amount of uh, time for the music from Sea Man in the useful can call it music, it's mostly a Japanese man rambling to himself uh, let's have something from Alien Front Online which is one of the other compatible games so this has actually a really cool soundtrack and I'm upset that it doesn't get played more often so play more of this please people who request lots of things uh this is alien front online dc alien attack enjoy Clips Mix from Mr Driller, which is another track, uh, another game rather, that's compatible with the Dreamcast microphone, because you can shout drill at it and it will drill. So there you go. And before that we had Alien Tech DC from Alien Online, which I think all some of you will agree was a really really awesome track. Now then, uh, moving on to something that I actually have some personal experience of. The Game Gear TV Tuner A device that you could attach to your Game Gear which will allow you to watch colour television on your Game Gear Okay, it doesn't sound that exciting these days when you can stream Netflix to your phone from anywhere in the world But when this was released in 1993, portable TVs were... Well, frankly, they weren't very portable They were enormous CRT monstrosities which were very heavy and often really expensive So, you could plug in the TV tuner and watch kids' TV on a tiny screen for five minutes, until your battery ran out. Which was the main problem since the TV tuner made the Game Gear's already short battery life into, well, something that could only be measured with a microscope, frankly. So really, you needed to plug it into the AC adapter, which kind of defeats the point of it being portable. Now as I said I had a personal experience of this one, and I did. a friend of mine actually had one of these, and they lived in a household with only one TV. It's not well known as well, but in some versions of the TV tuner, you, it actually had a TV input, so you could plug a VCR into it and play films on it. Which was very useful when your dad was watching the sport on the only telly in the house and you wanted to watch cartoons Which we did! We'd uh, kind of huddle up next to it and watch cartoons on this tiny, tiny screen It was really quite surreal! But that was the 90s for you! Er, Twin is saying, remember when disposable batteries were all the rage with gaming? Yeah, I know! There was a power pack for the the Game Gear, but I've only seen it once in the wild. Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't very common. Uh, Mr. Wonderman, Jamie is asking if it uh, if it really worked. It really did. Uh, the quality often wasn't great, but it worked. Uh, it doesn't anymore because everything in the UK is switched over to um, the digital signal, so the analog signal doesn't exist so you can't really use it anymore, which is quite sad I suppose if you took it to a country that did have it, it might work? I'm not sure Could you use the TV tuner input to record footage of games onto a v- VHS? Rick asks I don't think so, because I don't think it worked that way round uh, but it's, it might be possible I wonder if I can find someone... I'm, I know at least one person who's still got a Game Gear, so I wonder if I can get them to try it. First trick would be finding a VCR. Oh well. So <laughs> let's have some uh, some Game Gear music. Uh, earlier on I asked the Discord chat if they would like to suggest some music for from the Game Gear. And uh, who was it? Uh, it was Rick suggested... Uh, the game gear shinobi track first step and then mr Jamie wonderman suggested the unused marble zone soundtrack from the sonic uh, from sonic the hedgehog 1 so that'll be coming up next so first of all Shino- the game gear shinobi first step enjoy <laughs> Marble Zone theme from 8bit Sonic the Hedgehog and prior to that it was uh, the Game Gear version of Shinobi The First Step So I hope you enjoyed those Now then, uh, I said I'd mention this uh, this earlier Uh, I said I would talk about this earlier and I will Uh, The Sega Mega CD, or the Sega CD if you happen to be American uh, Released in the US in 1992 It was one of several 90s consoles to get a CD add-on now the Mega Drive was always produced with an expansion port so there had always been plans to attach something to it. It's commonly thought by most gaming historians that the original plan was to the add-on to be a floppy drive similar to the Famicom Disk System that was released for the original Famicom in Japan. And some people suggested that it might have been combined with an inexpensive keyboard and tablet to essentially turn the Mega Drive into a low cost home computer. However, that never happened for whatever reason, possibly because optical storage media (CDs) was becoming a lot cheaper to produce compared to traditional cartridge based storage. It was also a lot less volatile than floppy disk or cassette. Uh, by that I mean that the data was a lot harder to overwrite and a lot harder to get damaged by uh, electromagnetic interference. So, when the CD add on was released from PC Engine in 1988, Sega decided that they were going to follow suit. Sadly, when it was released, the unit was seen by most people as overpriced, particularly in America and Europe. And so few of the early Mega CD games took advantage of the approved technology, with the add on library largely being dominated by the FMV games, particularly in the USA. Added to that, the CD games were also more expensive than cartridge games, despite the CDs being easier and cheaper to produce, which a lot of gamers saw as a bit of a slap in the face. Not surprising. A trend that was then later reversed when we got to the PlayStation era with CD-based games being a lot lot less expensive than the cartridge-based games for the Nintendo console at the time. As with the Mega Drive, there were two versions of the Mega CD. The original version was designed to sit under the Mega Drive and work best with the original Mega Drive 1 console. I've seen one of these in the flesh and it kinda looks a bit, I don't know, shoddy. Considering that it was well known for having quite a lot of build quality problems. Um, There was a lot of errors and faults that could develop with that early version The second version, the Mega CD 2 sits alongside the Mega Drive, to the right hand side if you're looking at it directly and works best with the Mega Drive 2 console It fixed many of the early quality problems and is generally seen as the better version of the console And I have, certainly in the UK, seen a lot more of the Mega Drive 2's than I've seen the original model I've seen one original model, it's owned by a friend of mine, and it sort of works. Sort of. Uh, Jamie's asking me if I've heard of the Sega CD32X games. I have! Um, I did have a list of them somewhere. Let me just see if I can dig it up. uh, Talk amongst yourselves. Right, uh, there were five games that were released that were for both the, that would take took advantage of the technology of the Sega 32X and the Mega CD, and they were Corpse Killer, Fahrenheit, Night Trap, it, a re-release of Night Trap, not the original, Slam City, and Supreme Warrior. There was another game that was released bizarrely just in Brazil called Surgical Strike, which was another of these Mega CD 32X games. There were another at least six titles that were in development but were dropped Some just being released in just for Mega CD and some moved on to the set. So there you go Oh the multi uh, and Rick's talking about the multi-Mega Yeah I mentioned that in an earlier episode One of the uh, combined consoles that were tapped onto something else uh, there were even things like IBM PCs that had Mega Drives and uh, and Mega CDs built into them It was really quite bizarre So yeah, the Wonder Mega, the the XI, I think it was called There were another couple that kicked her, they were kicking around But yeah, let's have some music Let's have, uh, it's already started actually Let's have Stardust Speedway This is the Genesis, uh, the, sorry, the Generations Remix by Jun Senaway Enjoy! He has correctly said that was one of the one of uh, Echo to the Tides of Time Medusa remixes. Uh, I quite like that one, and he's done some really good ones, so I have no objections. And prior to that, it was Stardust Speedway Generations remix. Um, I said it was Jin uh Rexy has actually corrected me, it's the guys from Cash Cash with some of June Seminary's work so Apologies, I got that wrong. We'll get it right eventually. Uh, People in the chat are discussing the different models of Mega Drive that they have. I happen to have a Mega Drive 2, so um, that's my uh, preference I guess. I don't really have much of of a preference, um, but I have my of Drive 2, that has pretty red buttons. It's fine. So let's ca- carry on with what I'm talking about. So, third party controllers are a bit of a controversial subject. You can find some really excellent ones out there, but there's some, also some really terrible shoddily made garbage floating around. And then there were companies that like to uh, experiment like Triax Technologies, creators of the Turbo Touch 360 now despite the name it's got nothing to do with the Xbox which is just as well because this is a Sega show. It was in fact uh, a third party controller for the Mega Drive and it doesn't have a D-pad yes you heard me it doesn't have a D-pad. What it actually has in place of where the traditional D-pad should be located is a weird looking tracking sensor thing that purports to track the motion of your left thumb without needing to actually push downwards upon it It's a filthy lie! Now the lack of tactile feedback and the tracking sensor's variable sensitivity made it awkward and uncomfortable to use for most people Me included, I have tried one of these things, it's AWFUL You can't tell where your thumb is, it kind of has a vague inclination as to when it can be bothered to actually pick up your inputs It's TERRIBLE, do not recommend one of these things Then, speaking of experiments, there's the Simulator 2 Action Chair which looked basically like those uncomfortable plastic school chairs that you may remember from days gone by, or if you're still there, you poor sod uh, with an odd metal frame bolted to the bottom of it that's what it looked like although actually it was a pretty cool accessory that allowed you to move in 8 different directions on pivot points while controlling games such as Super Thunder Blade, Super Mongo GP and Afterburner using joystick controls on either side of the seat now unfortunately I wasn't able to find a huge amount of information about these things and but I, I can't really seem to find any information about how well this actually worked. Certainly it was about as close as you could get to having the arcade seat experience in your own home but apparently this thing was fairly rare. If somebody can give me some more information on this I'd be really interested to find out about it because I would like to know more about this thing cause it looks interesting. But yeah, if you can give me some information that would be really awesome. Now, speaking of Afterburner, I think we should have Afterburner! Yes, that sounds like a good idea. So, Afterburner, Afterburner! Enjoy! thing to radio sega playing the best sega music 24 7 and we are back and i was going to play a another track from super monaco gp after that one but then i realized the tracks are really long and i'm running out of time so maybe next time so i've got a question for you all it with Sega and their planet names. You know, Mars, Saturn, Neptune. Oh yes, the Neptune. Or are they naming them after Roman gods and being really ambitious? I don't know. Eh, whatever. Ah, the Neptune. Now it was meant to be a combined Mega Drive 32X and Mega C D to address the problems with the expense and aesthetics of the 32X and the early build quality problems of the Mega CD. However, by the time the Neptune managed to get around to prototyping stage, the Saturn was almost ready for release. From what I've managed to find out, part of the problem here came from a miscommunication between Sega of America and Sega of Japan. Because Sega of Japan wanted an entirely new console and Sega of America didn't. So... Sega of Japan went ahead and created one anyway, and then got around to telling Sega of America, who already had the Sega Neptune almost ready to go. So that went well. I could do an entire show about how Sega's left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing, but maybe I will, maybe I won't. If you guys are interested in the mistakes that Sega made during that particular period, give me a shout, let me know, and I'll see about putting together a show based on that topic. If you were interested. So, not wanting to cannibalise its own sales of the Saturn, Sega dropped the Neptune and instead focused on the Saturn. Much good that that did them. Had the Neptune made it to release, it would have been priced at around £200 in the UK or £149.99 in the US and it would have come bundled with the 32X version of Virtua Fighter. Which is actually a pretty good game. It's not known how many prototypes of that console were made Now there's one that belongs to the Video Game History Museum collection Which I think is based in Dallas, Texas Uh, And you can occasionally see it touring for display at various gaming events However, that's just a dummy unit, there are no actual electronics inside it It's just designed to show people how the unit would have looked There has been talk of others that have been found And that included an article by Electronic Gaming Monthly, which later turned out to be a hoax. Because that's the sort of thing that Electronic Gaming Monthly does. Trust me, just don't read EGM in April. uh, Lies, lies and more lies. But, as we all know from things like the American prototype of the uh, Nintendo 64 disc system turning up, and the recent discovery of the Nintendo uh, Nintendo PlayStation prototype these things can turn up years after the fact so maybe someday we will get to see a a proper prototype of the Sega Neptune That would be pretty cool And of course, the Neptune lives on in spirit through the Hyperdimension Neptunia games So to finish off for tonight, I'm going to play you Nepgear's theme from uh, Hyperdimension Neptunia Rebirth. Uh, Thank you ever so much for listening. Thanks to everyone who was in the Discord chat. Thanks to anyone who's listening and not in chat. Uh, I've been Skyblaze. This has been The Hidden Palace on Radio Sega. This is Nepgear's theme from Hyperdimension Neptunia Rebirth. And I will see you all next week. Good night.